was known as a man. A man on a dragon. And that dragon had a rider. And that rider's name was... Welcome to episode possibly eight or nine of You Better Believe It. I think it's eight. Uh, today we're talking about the 1989 movie of sorts, Robot Carnival. This is the point I normally ask Nate Regolia what's going on in here, but I already know for a fact the answer is nothing. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, this is... Uh, I think we're gonna... I think we might differ a little bit on the final score, because I enjoyed parts of this a lot. Uh, but yeah, this is like uh, just a an eighty synth fantasia with robots. Am I gonna guess uh, right off the break that your favorite sequence in this movie was the one called Presence? Oh no! See, that's the thing. I I think we'll have the most to talk about with that. Okay. Because I think it had the most story, but I'm not gonna say that I liked it. It reminded I, me like at the beginning of a story you wrote recently, where I can't recall the title off the top of my head, but it was about like the inner thoughts of a fuck doll. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, my, uh, 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 oh, shoot, the oh, companion shoot. piece, the companion, companion piece, piece is what you, it's called, yeah. you can listen to on the Denver Orbit podcast, and I can't recall the actress's name that performs it, but she does a great job. Yeah, her name is Rachel Trignano, and, uh, yeah, she, she did a fabulous job. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it did, I, I thought of that in the parallel, um, but, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll get, we'll get to it in order. Okay. The, my big takeaway from this anthology is that it's a case of the whole thing amounting to much less than the sum of its parts and that that is my big problem with it uh, kind of my problem with it is uh i'm trying to think of how to phrase this that this reminds me of a student like uh expo movie like the animation school was presenting all these shorts like the best shorts of the student animations just kind of crammed together. Yeah, like like you were walking uh, through the uh, mezzanine level at your local mall uh, around the middle of the semester, and there's just a bunch of kids' artwork there. Yeah, 
and you get to walk through it, and it's all on display, but it's not all good. No. <laughs> yeah. So, so... Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm I'm with you for sure. Okay. Well, let's <laughs> let's get into it. Do you have the segments names written down or no? I do, I, I I listed each of them individually. Ooh. So yeah, we can we can we can do this. I was thinking ahead this time. Thank God for somebody being prepared. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. Do you want to do you want to do them in order? You said. We might as well. Okay. Yeah. So does that include the wraparound? Yeah, I, I, I'll, yeah. Let's talk about let's talk about the the uh, beginning of the wraparound first, because um, it, it we start uh, with a boy in a desert agricultural mud village. <laughs> yeah, they're growing mud. Who finds a poster proclaiming the robot carnival's arrival? Uh, but he's so terrified that he does like a Paul Revere situation for the whole town and everyone abandons the town. Uh, it turns out that's for good purpose because the robot carnival is just like a giant sand crawler, uh, cuckoo clock that drives through crushing everything and shooting, uh, adorable robot soldiers and ballerinas everywhere. Yeah. Um, I think they were just waiting for an excuse to leave this town, to be honest, like anything, like a heavy wind was going to drive people out of here. Cause they're basically like uh, tattooing us moisture farmers, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's what it seemed like. But uh, we get zero inf- actual information out of this. Uh, there's no English spoken. Di- there's no language spoken dialogue. There's just some some kind of uh, uh, chittering, and uh, and that's about it. Yeah, I actually thought, and I'm sure we'll get into it uh, about halfway through. That it was going to be a thematic thing where there wasn't any dialogue in any of the stories until just apropos of nothing, one of them just has dialogue. Suddenly they just start having, yeah, they just yeah. start having dialogue. I, I was with you too. I, I I was thinking, oh, this is going to be really interesting because it'll be a completely different take on what we've seen with animation to say, okay, well now nobody's going to talk. You're just going to have to get it through through the gesture and everything. And, and yeah, and in a lot of ways the the non-dialogue sections work better for me. Yes. The ones with dialogue. Yeah. Um, this segment and the end wraparound segment were both directed by the same director as Akira. So if that animation looks familiar to you, that's why. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. And this, uh, I mean, the wraparound is ultimately like, uh, insanely technophobic. Yeah. It's just sort of like, Hey, r- robots are going to kill us. Even, even if they, uh, arrive proclaiming fun. Yeah, I'd say the wraparound, except for um, maybe one other sequence, has the most to do with actual robots of anything in here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, go ahead. Robot is a loose conceit throughout this anthology in a lot of instances. Yeah, I mean, it's like almost every one of the segments, and we'll get into it, is like a Pinocchio story, and that shit gets old quick. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the the... the, the uh... Like the middle or the around the two third mark, it it really starts to drag. Um, although there is kind of a fun thing near the end that that will yeah let's we'll we'll roll on through here. Okay. Um, so yeah, the uh, the soundtrack sounds pretty much like somebody just watched the Neverending Story once and they were like, hey, I I could do something like that. So they did a comp. Uh, <laughs> uh, we get a lightning storm, which is great. Keeps the theme going. There's always a lightning storm in the anime movies that we watch. Yeah. And uh, and our first segment is called Franken's Gears. Uh, 
didn't have anything to do with Al Franken, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> it didn't awkwardly touch somebody's tit and then have to retire six years later. Yeah, you know, in a in a beautiful double standard. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah. So this is basically a, a an old man scientist is making a Frankenstein robot. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, the robot reminded me a lot of the uh, Homer robot from the uh, Treehouse of Horror episode. Oh, not the uh, see Homer. This is why your robot doesn't work. Yeah, no, not yeah. <laughs> see all that stuff in there. Yeah. Th- this robot definitely had a lot of stuff in it. I will yeah. give I will give the man that. Um, and yeah, this is a dialogue free section that uh, it. I don't know what it was it like four or five minutes. It wasn't very long. Uh, just sort of watch the thing wake up. The robot kind of comes to life, and the old man is super happy, and then the robot crushes him to death. Yeah. And that's the- I I don't want to assign any depth to this, so I won't. But basically, the the setup is that the robot, like a child, starts pantomiming everything the scientist does as he sees it. And the scientist starts dancing, and the robot begins to dance and falls over and kills him. Which I thought, honestly, in addition to, I think, being the shortest segment, is, like, probably the second most successful segment in this for me. Yeah, no, I I loved it. I thought it was, I mean, this set a really... It set a, a high-ish bar for me because it felt like a a classic kind of uh, Twilight Zone Outer Limits sort of piece. Yeah. Where it's just like, okay, well, this is cute and it seems totally harmless and then it ends in death. Yeah, and then it gets On, super dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I – yeah. So I, I like that one quite a bit. Uh, our next segment is called Starlight Angel. Ooh, uh, which yeah. <laughs> features two girls who are uh, hanging out at a future theme park that appears to have robots everywhere, but it's basically, it's clearly Disneyland or Disney World. There's a giant castle in the middle, uh, and and this felt like all those like 80s cartoons, like Gem and the Holograms and, and Rainbow Bright kind of mashed together. Uh, it was, yeah, and... and for a while, I was confused as to whether the, the two young ladies were in a relationship together or not, because they seemed to have a lot of really deep glances at each other. Well, yeah, this is the problem with, you know, this story also not having any dialogue, is they have a really hard time conveying the emotions of these two characters as to what's going on. So there's yeah. a lot of, like, kind of wistful, slack-jawed looks at each other. And, and yeah, and so it, and it turns out, I guess, that, so the one girl's... Uh, boyfriend is cheating on her, I think, is what we find out. Yeah, with the other girl. Or they, they had some kind of... There's some kind of love triangle situation, maybe? Yeah. Like they were some... buying for his affection and... Yeah. Yeah, there's some kind of kerfuffle that causes the one girl to run away and lose her necklace. Yeah, she loses her necklace, which is a locket in the shape of a star that has a picture of that boy in it, I think. Yeah. I I don't know. And then yeah, uh so the the blonde girl runs off. Um she ends up getting uh attacked by robots. I guess. She so the way I understood this is that she gets into this ride that reads your mind or something. And okay. her like negative, yeah, her negative energy causes this like mobile suit Gundam thing to attack her, while this 
robot question mark person. And this is a trope that comes up a few times in this movie, and it's very confusing. You mean robots removing their robot heads to reveal that there's a human being inside? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't really know what to do with that, especially in this piece. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and this robot – and the design of the robot's actually really cool and, like, very emotive. And they undercut it dramatically by having it, like, either want to be or become or be visualized as a human. Yeah, because it just becomes another, like, hot guy that's, like, the, the brunette version of the blonde boy that she was ditched for. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and the, but they do. They have, like, a cool – there's a cool uh, kind of robot battle in, in the sky after they – but they also Peter Pan around a lot, too. Like, it, I was really confused as to what – like, when we drifted into fantasy and when we drifted out of it. But if, if it was a mind-reading thing and the ride was like a VR experience, I guess I could buy that a little bit more. Yeah, I, I don't was, know that they earned that. <laughs> I was thoroughly baffled. So I, I looked at something up about this segment. And it's it's a type of story, I guess that's something, I didn't look this part up, called uh, Bishojo, which means beautiful girl. It's like a girl's story about like young girls, some kind of like, if we were from there, we'd be familiar with kind of Dealey. Okay. But again, it is like totally <laughs> impenetrable for uh, like an eight minute short that should not be confusing, but is like wildly confusing. Yeah, because we go from her running away to her uh, being attacked by this giant robot to a robot saving her to her seemingly falling in love with the robot. And then the robot is like, oh, I'm a man, actually. And then he gives her her locket back, and they walk out of the park together? Yeah, people in this world, uh, they fall in love with robots like nothing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it is unbelievable. It's, yeah, I mean, it's really, like, this, the, the anthology appears to be about the fact that technology is going to destroy us while we try to fuck it. Yeah, but some of it'll save us. Yeah, well, some of it'll save us, but yeah, I mean, it's it it, it is weird. I think as individual pieces. Now, uh, this one, uh, Starlight Angel, really is uh, the animation is really cool in this. Yeah, I liked I liked looking at it. I don't have a problem with almost any of the animation in this. I think the movie looks good for the most part, but like. it just, it's nothing. It's a mile wide and an inch deep, as uh, Goggs tends to say. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like it's, like, desperately grasping for some kind of depth, and it's just not there. And I don't know if it's a function of the, that it's a short, but I've seen shorts that are, like, really kind of poignant and moving. But So, yeah, you know, because uh, that, that's a really good way to transition to the next segment, Cloud, which I feel like this is, is what- the most intentionally artsy-fartsy of all of them. I'm glad you hated this, too, or didn't like I, it, because this is where I was just like, I fucking hate this movie. The thing, I, the, the one thing I liked about this is the use of changing aspect ratios. Yeah. I thought that was cool. The problem was is nothing fucking happens, and it it, it is interminably long. I, yeah, I don't know how long this segment actually is, but it felt like 
the longest segment. And it might not be, but it was just because, he's, like you said, there is literally nothing happening. It's a robot, kind of. Yeah, there's like a little robot boy who is walking. So you just – we open on – the little robot boy does like a dance. And this is all – this is like line illustrated. There's no – there's not really any shading or, or fill. Yeah. He does a little dance and then suddenly he's walking by clouds – and he finds himself sort of in the in the uh, lower left corner of the screen, and he's walking by clouds, and the clouds just keep turning into things and looking like things. And we're just listening to, like very chill synth piano music while he walks for a long time, and they turn into monsters and angels and cherubs. And there's a lady cloud that cries a tear that brings a storm, and then there's an atomic blast which. This is the part where it's it's exactly what you said about this being like an animation school showcase. Yeah. Is that someone would go, what are some clouds? So I'll do like a cloud that looks like a bunny and then, ooh, I'm going to do a mushroom cloud because we got to show the, the evil of clouds too. But there's nothing to it. Yeah. I know that the mushroom cloud imagery and just kind of like that widespread destruction something, especially in that era of Japanese animation, just their culture in general – Oh yeah, because and, and no hate because we because no, we, we nuked them. them twice and that yeah. was fucked up on our part. But like, it's, I'll say sorry if no one else will. Yeah, our bad. <laughs> like, but uh, yeah, it means nothing. Like, I feel like, like again, like we talked about, it would be somebody would be like, oh, this is so deep. This is you know the rise and fall of humanity is seen through your toaster or whatever. But it is eternal. This this segment is eternal. Yeah, and it doesn't, and it really doesn't say anything. Yeah, and like I, I paid really good attention, waiting for it to do something beyond. It, it's just basically a survey of clouds, and yeah, you and and there is you can imbue meaning into the mushroom cloud thing. You can imbue meaning into uh, there. There are some rockets following that, uh, and everything does fall into chaos. But I mean. It, it, it basically tells the story of, like, uh, all of these things happen, and then at the end, the clouds part, their son, and this little robot boy becomes a real boy. Yeah. Like, so the point is, I guess, that none of the shit matters at all? Or that, like, you know, things will always renew, time is a flat circle, who knows? It's like... Yeah, but it's... But it's... It, it is, it's like... It, it's such a Rorschach test of a piece of animation. Yeah, I don't feel like that's an intentional thing, though. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no. I mean, I, I think I think it's trying to say exactly what it says, which is, hey, look, we drew clouds, and and this was it, it is a, uh, I don't know, it's like a, it's like an AR kind of. I don't know, it's not even an AR experience. It's just like it's a, it's it's like looking at an impressionist painting, and yeah, yeah and that's it. But but it doesn't it, it, it doesn't show like a, a career path. It doesn't have a narrative. There's not anything that's hiding beneath the surface. It's just all text. So <laughs> it's like if you were looking at a, a nice impressionist painting, and then someone clamped your head forward and would not allow you to move for about twenty eight hours. Yeah, and they just kept yelling, "See, they're water lilies. Look, <laughs> it's not just green spots. They're water lilies." This segment has been the low point of anything we've watched on this show. I fucking hated this. It was a it was a drag. It was a real drag. I I really like I looked at my phone 
I don't know, five or six times. Like how, God, how, how much time is passing? Yeah. Um, and it's like, and I'm it, like was, it was probably only like eight minutes long. I don't think it could have been long at all. The whole movie's an hour and an hour 25. Yeah. And it's like nine segments. So yeah, it didn't, but it just like, it just went on and on and on. Just like, fuck this robot kid. Right. And then he becomes right. a real boy because like, I would love to talk to whoever made this and be like, what is that about? Yeah, why why did this happen? Because it, it I I would have been happier, I think, almost if the robot boy just like rusted or something, yeah, and fell into oblivion too. But instead, he just becomes a a real boy, and I and I don't know, are there people left? Like what? Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there was nothing. This was this was one hundred percent like, uh, I mean, it, even if it wasn't an animation showcase, it's like, uh. It's like going to one of those like wine and paint places, <laughs> and they were like, "Everybody, do this robot boy and these clouds," and just this was some like forty-eight-year-old suburban mother of fours take on robot boy with clouds. Yeah, the concept it sucked. Yeah, like, it there's, sucked. There's, yeah. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I, I um, mean, I could talk about this nothing eight-minute segment for... I could do, like, an hour one-man show about how much I hated this fucking thing. It was a nightmare. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it seems like the sort of thing that you could have the FBI play outside of a religious compound <laughs> to get them to come out. Yeah, it, this is the, the infinite jest of anime. Like, this is just fucking just ponderous. Well, it's just it 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 really. I mean, it has that it has that like bad indie movie stink on it, where you just know someone was thinking that they were making some sort of grand point. Yeah, this was some exactly. sort of poetic uh, examination of of existence and technology or whatever, and it's it's none of those things. No, it, but it, it but it does cool stuff with the aspect ratio because the window through which you watch it changes shape and size several times. And I just wish that something would have gone on in the confines of those spaces other than us literally watching clouds slowly move across the sky yeah, in the I mean, way that you could look up at the sky right now at, at wherever you are and watch them move in the wind. Yeah. I mean, if you want to watch something that changes aspect ratio all the time and has interesting shit happen, then just watch a Christopher Nolan movie because every time it goes from an IMAX camera to a regular camera, the aspect ratio changes and they never do anything about it. <laughs> Though, depending on the Christopher Nolan movie, you might be equally confounded by the, the uh, illusions. <laughs> okay, ne- the next segment is called Deprive. I and this can... is a future war piece with red robots invading the Earth and kidnapping a girl. Yeah, this is the, this is the segment where Vince Neil invades their planet, right? I, I wrote down Bowie Simmons was the <laughs> character I had, okay. but yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, if... if... If you're on a planet that was taken over by L.A. guns, this is the story. <laughs> um, yeah, so I kind of I kind of enjoyed yeah, this segment. I liked it too. I really did. It was it it uh, it was another instance of a uh, robot turning into a person, turning back into a robot, or yeah. vice versa. Um, that didn't make a whole lot of sense, but. Uh, yeah, so this this girl gets kidnapped by these uh, red robots that invade the Earth. Um, her robot, it, like, tries to save her but gets shot up, I think. Yeah. And then we cut, we kind of cut suddenly to 
uh, badass dude on a hover bike riding into rescuer. Um, yeah, he goes on Mario on the robots' heads. It cuts to the third series of Robotech, which that guy looks exactly like one of those characters. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I couldn't think of, I couldn't place it, but you're yeah. right. Um, yeah, and you know what this? I think I like about this uh, a lot is that it's the besides the the one segment that I really really liked, um, but even that went on too long. It's one that seems like it takes itself the least serious. Like, it's just, like, a fun little action piece. And I think probably, especially due to where it was in relation to the last segment, like, I I enjoyed it a lot. Like, on its own, I don't know that it's, like, the best thing, but coming right after that fucking quagmire that was Cloud bumped this up a lot. Oh, yeah, and I mean, this this reads like a, re- like a long version of an 80s toy commercial. When yeah. we had like, when when you got a whole like GI Joe episode as a commercial, yeah, um, th- th- that's what this feels like. And yeah, it's just it, it's otherwise just a cool it, cool visuals, uh, interesting fight scenes, kind of a neat turn that the robot got turned into a human and gets to fall in love with the girl that he rescues. I Did guess he turn into and a uh, human. This is another one I'm like, know. it's like he's got skin and then uh, and then Bowie Simmons peels his skin off. Or zaps it off, yeah. and then he's a robot inside. But then the skin comes back with no explanation. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I, 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 that I girl's do, yeah. I appreciated the the heavy shredding cock rock throughout too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had it had the least synthy soundtrack of of anything in here. Yeah, but there's, um, there's like nothing to it. Yeah, no. I mean, that's we've said it, and I, yeah. I don't even know. Like, there's not really anything to peel. Huh. <laughs> Um, so then we, uh, then we jump to kind of an apropos of nothing, like just a British street and their kids kicking a robot, a robot's head around. Yeah. They throw a bunch of fireworks at it and blow its head off, which they then punt. Yeah. Uh, and this has dialogue. This is the first time anyone has spoken words, let alone it's all, it's all in English. Um, and I almost shit my pants. Right. It was so jarring. Like, wait a second, people are, people are going to talk in this now? Um, uh, so I assume that this bit is the cold open to presence. Is that what we're supposed to think? I didn't feel like the animation styles were the same. No, it felt like some kind of weird interstitial, like something that would be like in the middle of an episode of Monty Python or something. You know, like just... Yeah, because it didn't go anywhere, but then we seem to be going into the same world with this next segment. Yeah, I guess. But they didn't the animation wasn't the same and the tone wasn't the same because presence is is a really weird philosophical lament about not fucking the teen girl robot you built when you were 40. Yeah, it's so maudlin and like well, let's get into it. I know you have <sighs> So, okay. So first, uh, it it we open on a British family, we're hearing the in, the inner monologue of the man, and he's explaining that his wife is a businesswoman, and that people, all these other men he knows, tease him because his wife is like, wears the pants in the house, but he respects his wife's career, her, her career work. Um, so, so we start with this frame of, this guy's a feminist, which maybe I think is designed to excuse the fact that he has been imprisoning a teenaged robot for I, I, 80 I, years. 
I think what that, and, and I'm assuming just from like the from our now expertise of this area, this era of animation, I think the fact that he's like presented as a feminist is an allusion to him being weak. Okay, especially with what comes for the rest of the movie. Sure. Well, yeah, because uh, it, yeah. And and this okay this and this segment's really beautiful too. I mean, I like most of the. I think everything up until the old person versions of them look. Everything looks cool. Yeah, it's definitely different. Like it looks, a, except for the the fuck doll itself. Like it looks a lot closer to like a Western animation, almost like a um, like a Little Prince or something. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And the and and the fuck doll is just uh, Pris from Brit from Blade Runner. <laughs> from Blade Runner. From Braid Runner, Bride Runner, <laughs> smashed together with Madonna. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, like I mean, 86 Madonna. Yeah, he goes out of his way. He's like, and I don't know what the guy's doing, but in this, with this interior monologue thing at the beginning, he's like out on a pier for some reason, like looking around and just sort of declaring too that his, he believes that, his letting his wife work is being aware of goodness, which I mean, reading reading that from 2018's perspective, I was like, oh, that that's cool. This this is kind of this was kind of progressive at the time. But I I truly buy what you said about it. Spoke you know trying to be an indication that he's weak because he's otherwise like Hamlet with no teeth. For the rest of this piece. Yeah, because the whole thing is he, like, because they are even some kind of lo- drop line about, like, maybe I didn't want marriage. I wanted something more basic. It's basically, like, a guy that's, like, unable to extract himself from a life that he doesn't particularly care for. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's making, we come to find out that he's making excuses for it. Yeah. He's going to wear the badge of, I'm a, I'm a woke man, not because I actually like it, but because... I don't feel like doing anything else. Right, which is like a, kind of like a trenchant observation of 2018 society, but back uh, in 89, they're just trying to code him as a big pussy. Right. Well, in, it, it, okay, because really the parallel, and I know I brought up Blade Runner before, uh, but he's he's like the toy maker in Blade Runner. Oh, J.F. Sebastian? Yeah. Yeah. I felt like that they took like they took the JF Sebastian character and that was the premise for this guy. Right. Because they, he does. He also makes smaller toys too in addition to the fuck robot that he made. Right, but they detard JF Sebastian cuz like in the movie William Sanderson's performance would kind of lead you that way, but in the book, uh the Android Dream of Electric Sheep, it is explicitly stated that he's got some kind of like uh, silly brains from all the radiation. Remember they call him like a chicken head or what? I forget what the term is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I can't remember the term either, but I know what you mean. Yeah. But, like, he's, like, too fucked up to even, like, get off planet. That's why he's, like, a tech genius, but he's still down there just building his, like, uh, his wooden soldiers. His creepy cavalcade. Yeah. Um, this guy is expressly not addled in any way. He's just a big pussy. Yeah, he, well, he just, like, he is in love with this blonde robot girl that he has made that he keeps in a shack... Somewhere like, I don't even know where. Yeah, he has I like lost a track of of distance. Yeah, he takes his steampunk copter to his Unabomber shed, where he's making toys to amuse himself. 
yeah, yeah, that's, no, that's it. And, and yeah, and I love that you said both of those things. Steam, <laughs> steampunk copter to Unabomber <laughs> shit. That's, that is what happens. Well, you know, once I saw that vehicle he was in, I was immediately upset. <laughs> like, oh, no, yeah. I, I knew that you would be right then. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm sure you're going to be very upset when we uh, get to the next segment after that. <laughs> I actually didn't hate that because it was funny. Yeah, it was really, yeah, we'll get there, but it, right. it was funny. Uh, it, it did not take itself seriously. Not not anywhere. This thing took itself extraordinarily seriously. Like this, like late. it was written by a miserable motherfucker. You know what I mean? Like it, the person that yeah. wrote this, you would not want to be around. No, no. It's just God. It feels, it's like it it's feels, like fucking Eeyore wrote a sci-fi story. It feels very personal. Now it might not be. I might be totally off base, and they might be a normally well-adjusted person with good relationships. But this feels like a like, I hate my wife, and I'm going to make a cartoon about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because, um, yeah, he, he, so in his Unabomber shack, uh, he is keeping this, this blonde uh, 1986 Madonna robot there, and she can talk and is aware of the fact that he keeps her imprisoned, and she just wants a name, and she wants to be a, she just wants to be alive. Um and that freaks him out because he he wants this, I guess, uh, consequence-free alternative to his torturous normal existence, which we see nothing of. Right. Um, so, you know, the, the piece fails because it, there is no reason for you to think that he should be unhappy outside of the fact that he clearly is. Yeah, it's not like his wife's some kind of martinet or anything, like... Even at the end, she's like she sounds at least like tender enough to like call him by like you know a pet name or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, they seem to have like a sweet uh, grandparently relationship at the end of it. Right. And then it's yeah okay so uh, yeah so he's basically sad that he can't for whatever reason he doesn't he doesn't believe he can well he knows he can't like live with a robot because of society. But that appears to be what he secretly wants to do. Right, even though this thing is one million percent sentient. Like, yeah. like is aware, has feelings and stuff. This is the thing to remind me of the story you wrote. But that was good. And this well, is bad. <laughs> yeah, no, because this is just, this is just, there are no consequences to him eternally torturing this, this thing that he brought to life. Yeah. He, he he like he he wants to have a sexual like a, a sexual kind of relationship with his daughter bot, but he won't like yeah because this not thing, up to do anything. He just like, he just decides like it's too complicated. Yeah, like it, especially with the difference in like the kind of character models between the two of them. Like, yeah. it is it is very apparent that this thing is supposed to be like a teenager or a very young woman and he's like like he's what you would you guess like in his 40s ish yeah I would assume so he's he's dressed pretty much like Ned Flanders yeah and and she's like material girl yeah and it's it's a bad look to begin with not like the look itself because I do enjoy that kind of like go-go's new wave look but I mean like optically it's not great. No, no, that yeah, this is like it. It's a big, uh oh, bad place kind of situation right when you see it, right. um, and yeah. Uh, so 
then just a bunch of time passes, right? Well, hang on. There, there's a sequence here that I'm confused as to what actually happened okay. because of the way they cut away from it. Does she either go to push him or to hug him? There's some kind of, like, where she's approaching him from behind and he judo tosses this thing into a mirror Yeah, and it bleeds. Like, what happened in that sequence? Do you know? Because it's just like she kind of moves up slowly from behind him and then it cuts to her smashed into the wall. I think that, uh, you know, I took it as she was trying to do... She was trying to give him human affection to the best of her ability. And his, the fact that he's just such a paralyzed wank of a person, he saw this coming and reacted in the most violent way possible to prevent himself from being happy with anything. Uh, And threw her into the thing to to basically like, just as a a response, because he can't handle the emotional connection that he has with this robot that he made. Yeah, and then yeah, I don't I don't understand the bleeding thing at all. I mean, yeah, because later it gets wounded or whatever, and like it it leaks oil. Yeah. So, yeah. So, like you said, go ahead. Maybe it had transmission fluid in it. That's kind of kind of reddish. Sure. <laughs> We're, I'm doing a lot of work for this. Uh, yeah. Um. So then, so then a bunch of time passes. Right. We jump. Forward to his old age? Yeah, like, like not like super old, but like probably like our parents' age, maybe. So like late 50s, early 60s, something like that. And this is them, he's hanging out on the porch. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and his daughter is there with her daughter. Right. And they're getting ready to leave. And it seems like they have like a normal kind of, like I said, all, his whole like relationship uh arc with everybody in his family seems totally normal yeah no it does you don't get any sort of yeah there's no direct uh textual indication that (laughs) that something is wrong here that he should be dissatisfied or that he couldn't just be honest with these fucking people right because like this would almost work better if it started here and, like, his whole thing was, like, he wanted to feel young again, so he has this, like, young robot that he made. You know, it's something like that, but it's it's not that. Yeah, no, it's just, like, he he had an obsession in his relative youth. Yeah, it's, like, the and... worst possible version of that Robert Frost poem. <laughs> Fucking the snow in the woods. You know what I'm talking about. You're, you went to college. Stop, stop stopping by the woods on a snowy evening? Yeah. No. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, yeah, so he, what happens here? Is this a vision that he has or, no, it must be, right? Or does this thing actually come to see him? Well, okay, yeah, this is, this is my problem is, uh, so he's hanging out on the porch, looking out into the middle distance, I guess, as, as old people are wont to do from the porch. And and suddenly his robot appears to him, um, and then she explodes. It looks like she's getting shot from off screen by a sniper. Yeah, yeah. It, she get yeah. It's like a yeah. Um, and then because, because she's never able to be free of the solitude he'd locked her in, right. I guess. 
So is this his conscience, or did this thing, like, turn itself on? Because, you know, as we get to the kind of the coda of this, it has moved from the position it was left in originally. Like, it has yeah. escaped that room at some point. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, because... He, because okay. he goes to see it later. After he whist, after he like walks off with it hand in hand. No, no, or is no. That... There, there's after this sequence, he goes back to his his bomb oh, shed. That's right, and okay. sees it like outside the window where it is like kind of collapsed out in the exterior of the shed. I think, I thought. Yes, yes, that's right. Because yeah, because then he because he's sort of he's. <sighs> Yeah, I guess I, I took that as kind of like if you were to bury someone alive and you went back and you found that like, oh, their hand got out of the coffin. It was kind <laughs> of that. It was that kind of energy. It was like it yeah. was a pretty. It was a real bummer. I mean, yeah, <laughs> this thing struggled to get outside of the door and either died, ran out of energy when it did or had some sort of adventure, uh, but wasn't able to get back inside. I. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah. And it's sort of his forever regret that he didn't have a relationship with the robot. But yeah. then we see him back on the porch, right? Yeah, and now he looks like Baron Harkonnen. Like, his eyebrows are going from here to Yaya. Like, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, and the uh, and and again, why his wife says something pleasant to him? Yeah, like hey, it's getting cold outside. Why don't you come on in and shut the window before you get sick? You know, like old lady shit. Yeah, and he's like, okay, great, I'll be in in a second. And then the robot appears again as a as a vision, kind of. You could fix so much of this with by just by changing that little bit of dialogue that the wife has to come in, you stupid old bastard. You're gonna get a cold. You know what I mean? Right, yeah, if she had been uh, unpleasant in any way. Right. But she is more pleasant than uh, necessary, really. Like, we don't, we barely need the character development. Right. Um, right. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so he has the vision again and thinks something about how he regrets that they didn't have time together, that he, that he never brought her out into the light, uh, never gave her a name, and then they walk off hand in hand and disappear? Yeah. Uh, does he die? Is this? Are we watching this guy's death, or does he like legitimately disappear? I wish that he would have died, because if the wife found him dead and slumped in the chair, it would have made sense. Right. But instead, she finds an empty chair and a tiny wind-up version of the girl robot he built. No, she you know? watches him walk away. Oh, she does. That's right. Yeah, and disappear. So, like, I was like, is this supposed to be her watching him dead on the porch, or did this literally happen? Because this is dumb. Like, I'm all for, like, a kind of choose-your-own-ending David Lynch sort of thing, but, like, there are too many things that should be taken literally in this for to have some kind of, like, dreamlike quality at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with you completely. And I, and I honestly, I don't have an answer. I don't know what happened at the end. But he does. Like, she, yeah, she watches him walk away. He disappears with the robot, and that's it. And there's a little wind-up toy on the table. Yeah. I guess a reminder that that's what he liked, or 
I don't know. I, uh, it, was the little robot like the equivalent of a fleshlight to him? <laughs> that what we're supposed to assume that she's like, oh, you, oh no, you never loved me at all. Like I thought about fleshlights before, but it seems like too much maintenance. Like I don't have to take shit up. I don't have to like disassemble a T-shirt. You know what I mean? Like, uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you just gotta wash a sock every seven to ten sessions. Yeah. Uh, just come on your stomach like a man, wait for it to dry off, and get in the shower. It's no big deal. <laughs> Nate, I fucking hate, as much as I hated Cloud because it was boring, this wasn't boring, it was just so bad and, like, such a quarter idea and maudlin and, like, aspired to death. Like, I, like, I was, like, angry watching this. I, I imagine that whoever wrote it, I think you were right that someone someone was really channeling that like they were unhappy in their marriage when they did it. Um, but I just it 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 reeks of like someone just listening to the Cure and the Smiths and thinking that because they're sad, it's art. Yeah, and it, it just really yeah, there are way too many questions and and again, I mean, beautifully done. Beautiful animation and everything, but man, there's just it is yeah. it is a strange, strange piece. Yeah, because like if it had been some kind of like if it was attempted to be some kind of meditation on like clinical depression, where it's like no matter how good everything's going, you're still sad. Like that would be one thing, but it's like it feels like it's meant to be taken hyper literally, and like the the biggest failing of this guy's relationship is that his wife makes too much money. Yeah, and he and he just has time to run around in his helicopter car building robots. Like, and it he, seems like a pretty sweet deal. Right, he just wants to fuck Belinda Carlisle, and I get it. Like, we all get it. But the, the, the setup for his mood is non-existent. And, like, I feel like you really need that for this to connect, and it just... It doesn't. Because, like, you don't even get the impression that, like... For instance, that he's been ignoring his family because he's over here fucking around with his robot all the time. Because, like, he's, again, he seems to have a pretty normal relationship with his daughter and his granddaughter's coming to visit. His wife seems fine. So it's not like you get the impression that he's just been, like, like Tom Waits and Mule Variations in a shed just banging on shit for the last 30 years and missed his whole life. Yeah, I mean, or, or I, hell, if the uh, if the very ending when she sees the wind-up toy, if she were to exclaim something... Yeah. Like, like there was some sort of long-standing, like, he had an addiction to making robots that was hurting them and that he had stopped doing, but that she was just discovering, like, she found the needle and the, you know, yeah. needle and spoon or something hidden under the chair. Like, that would have been something, but there's not, yeah, there's no reactions. Uh, yeah, it's it, it, it suffers from the same kind of shit that Cloud does, where... It's like, hey, because we allude to certain things and emotions, it's artsy. Yeah. And we're not giving you the information because it's it's more high-minded to not tell you when quality storytelling omits information uh, strategically, not just wherever the fuck. Right. Ugh. I hated it. It, it was not. It was not good. It, it was. It, it was uh, because suddenly people were speaking. It did recapture my attention in a way um but it lost my attention pretty quickly too yeah uh, uh our next one is called a tale of two robots and this one i i like this one quite a bit yeah this was fun 
Um, this this is a uh, it's 19th century Japan, and there is an evil, I believe, American genius using a steampunk <laughs> robot to try yeah. to take over a Japanese town where they're using a steampunk uh, like wood and iron robot. This was the part I remembered when I was like, I liked this when I was a kid because I don't know if you did, if you had the Sci-Fi Channel when you were pretty young when it first came out, they would just play anything because they didn't have original content. Oh they yeah, would, they, I, I didn't have cable until I was older, but I, I know what you mean. I remember just uh, going to friends' houses and seeing like, whoa, you know. Yeah, so they would play like, this, Pat Labore, the Venus Wars, and like something else, but they would just play it nonstop every Saturday. They would play one of those movies. So I've seen bits and pieces of this movie as a kid, and I was like, oh, I'm stoked that there's, like, grown-up cartoons on. So this is the segment I really remembered. And this was fun, because it's really just, okay, everything, everybody in this is is really stereotypically their character. Yeah, yeah, the, and, the, and, the voice direction in this is curious. Well, they're they're doing it's it's like they're trying to ape the uh, Godzilla dubs. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly what I wrote down. Because uh, yeah, because our main Japanese hero kid that's running the robot that fights the mad scientist robot talks in that style, in that very very fast affectation. Um, uh, it was it was a joy though, and I and I really thought that it was like. It, it seemed like it was a a you know Japan versus U.S. sort of economic battle illusion. Given that I it, remember in the '80s how everybody thought that Japan was going to take over the world. Yeah, and how there, that could, there's yeah. a great uh, kids in the hall sketch where they're like uh, I forget what it's like Dan they're taking over and it's like who so and so and he's like no. That's not a company. He's like, what about the Japanese? And he's like, actually, the Japanese are a company, and they have taken over. But yeah, that was that's the whole that whole Blade Runner aesthetic comes from that, right? Like this idea that like like Pan Asian investors would totally just like purchase the United States. Yeah, well, cause there there was something I feel like in eighty eight or eighty nine where like Japanese investors bought. Now I can't remember what they bought, but they bought a whole bunch of American land, and that was and there was a big controversy around that because it was like, oh well, they're just going to start, they're just going to buy us from the inside out, which you know didn't happen. No, and now everybody in Japan's so old they got to import Mexicans. Right. <laughs> that, that's true. Look that up. Oh God, really? Well, they they don't have anybody to do any kind of like unskilled labor there because the population is so fucking old. Like, the, the birth rates in Japan are, like, nothing. It's, like, children yeah, they, men over there. Yeah, they have, like, negative... It, it's, like, a negative birth rate, right? Yeah. Because all the... Most of the young people are moving away after they turn, like, 20. Right. They're moving to other countries. Yeah, and then it's, like, they just need an influx of, like, able-bodied young people. So they've opened up, like, I, I don't... I can't even remember, like, 75,000 visas or something. Like, work oh, I, visas. Yeah. I'd go there. I'll go there and move boxes around. <laughs> Yeah, no shit. Sounds it's like a whole a thing. Fun. Like they've got like, you can buy a house over there for like three grand now because it's basically it's the same thing. It's like everybody's dead. and There's nobody to buy all these houses. They're just vacant. Oh yeah, I saw. I, I think I saw something on the internet this week that it. I mean, the house looked a little run down, but it was like a, a big house that they were just said like the Japanese government is just trying to give this house away if you'll pay taxes. Yeah. Huh. Maybe so. 
other than like the earthquakes in North Korea and Russia and China. Yeah. It seems like a really great idea. Yeah, I mean, we could do the show live at a yeah. location. <laughs> um, what do we, I mean, what else is there really to say about this segment? Because you know, this, this segment feels like it's about a minute long, too. I don't know if it's just because of the, again, be, the same thing with, uh, what is it? Not Defiance. What was it called? Uh, fuck. Nightmare? No, 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 not that. That's the next one. What's the oh. one with the hard rock and alien invasion? Oh, that was that was Deprive. Deprive versus yeah. Cloud with the same thing with this versus the last one. It just it felt so short and like it was a lot of fun. It was great. It's just it's just you're just watching giant like mech battle happen. Yeah. Um, and the the sidekick characters are all well defined without needing any fleshing out, but they were all really fun. Yeah. Um, and the mad scientist guy is really fun. You, uh, I think it's it it declares itself like part three. When it yeah. starts, yeah, it says to be continued too. And so then I don't it, know. yeah, and then it ends saying that it'll, they'll be back in part four or three or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if that's just if that was just sort of an affectation or if it's if there I'm, actually are other parts to this story. I'm assuming that's what it was. I, I think it's like a New Hope thing where it was just like you know, start in the middle. Yeah, kind of like like to like a, like a cereal or something. Yeah, we're not uh, no bun, no lettuce. Just me. Uh, yeah, so that was fun. Japan wins. Uh, all they, although, what I liked is that so the kid with the with the wooden robot succeeds in defending the town from the intruding guy, but destroys the entire town in the process. <laughs> yeah, it really was pretty comedic, and and it, and it landed well. Like I, it it held my attention best out of a lot of these segments. Yeah, it's like the end of Man of Steel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Uh, the next one is called Nightmare. And uh, so this features kind of a, a weird kind of there's like a, a robot in a dark cloak kind of doing a Batman looming over Gotham thing. Yeah. And then it just sort of jumps into the city and starts seeding robots, like bringing the machines to life. Yeah, when you said this is like Fantasia, this is the sequence that's a lot like the whatever the most famous sequence is from Fantasia with the, the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yes, thing. yeah, and I and I assume that's a purposeful thing because it seems a lot like that. I mean, it, it, it's it's similarly sort of balletic in the way everybody moves around. I yeah, mean, the this little robot wizard guy that's bringing all the machines to life. Seems to be on kind of like a hover pogo stick, so he's bouncing around and spinning a lot, uh, twirling. Um, yeah, towards freedom. <laughs> Always twirling towards freedom. <laughs> when I was a boy, I dreamed of being a baseball. But yeah, so yeah, I'm mixed on this segment because I really enjoy the animation and I like it, but did it feel like really long? It felt really long, and, and it felt like nothing nothing at all happens. Right. Because nothing really does happen. I mean, no. we just sort of see this robot bring all of the machines to life, and then there's a dude that tries to escape this sort of robot mechanized apocalypse thing. Yeah, it's one drunk guy that sees the whole thing happen. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, the, and then the little robot wizard just keeps making everything go after him. And and that's pretty much it. And we yeah. we 
we end the segment panning back to see that the entire city is now wrapped in tendrils of metal and webbed together. Yeah, like I said, it just it was cool. Like, and I, I I dug what they were doing for about a minute, and then it just kind of just keeps. It's just like a loop. It's like watching a gif for an hour. Yeah, yeah. Well, because nothing, nothing but robots coming, machines coming to life, and tendrils of of metal chasing him around happens. There's just nothing else. Uh, yeah. So uh, that that that's fine. And then I guess that's the last main segment, right? Yeah. And then it just the wraparound happens. Yeah. So we come we come back. Uh, yeah. We close the wraparound. Uh, we see that the robot carnival is cruising through the desert, and then it gets stuck. And as it tries to power over the hill, it, it, it explodes. So I guess it just overheated? Yeah, it needed those, uh, remember the animal? That thing when we were kids where the claws came out of the tire and it climbed over? That's yes! I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it, uh, it got stuck, so then it explodes. And then we sort of cut again to, or maybe a little bit in the future? Yeah, it's got to be in the future because there's this uh, man... Digging around the desert like uh, like Ray in episode uh, seven. Yeah, looking for parts, and brings home this little music box to its to his hungry family, and they open it, and this uh, little uh, robot ballerina comes out and dances, and everybody's delighted by it, and then it fucking blows up and kills everybody. Yeah. Well, to be fair, those kids were really ugly. So no I mean, big loss. Everybody in these <laughs> was weird looking. You know, um, one thing, and I think it extends to like the books I enjoy and the stuff we talk about, and this comes up on the other show all the time. Is like, there's no greater crime for a piece of art to be than boring. Mm-hmm. And like we do this on movie the podcast all the time, but it's a different scenario because we're watching it, you know, as it happens with like three or four people. And when it gets boring, you can goof off and clown on it. But, like, when you're watching shit by yourself, it's a whole different experience. And, man, I was just so fucking bored through most of this. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, the the the, the achievement of the animation is so valid. Yeah. But, but there's just – there's a lot of wasted, wasted time in, in these segments. I mean, they could have easily cut – three of these down and fit in two more fun ones like the robot battle uh like the opening franken sequence i mean even even that even the starlight angel thing was at least propulsive it didn't make a lot of sense but it was going fast enough that it wasn't boring boring yeah i've never seen a shoegazing cartoon before but this is kind of what that was i mean it's just like i don't know man like it it's just fucking just fucking ponderous man like it, it, I I'm like at a loss at how fucking and the th- I think the thing that's even more disappointing like you said it's a bunch of shorts so it, every eight minutes has opportunity to get interesting and it so rarely does and when it does like it's gone so quick it doesn't help oh yeah cause you you're yeah I mean it's sort of the it's like the the film equivalent to buying a bunch of scratch tickets yeah. And it's like it doesn't take long to scratch it off, but every time every time you lose, you have that that little burst of hope where you think like, "Oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll win a couple bucks." Yeah. And it's like, "Oh, you know, cherry." <laughs> <sighs> yeah. 
I don't know. Did you watch? Did you not watch a low life or no? Oh, I would. So here's the thing. <laughs> oh, I was gonna watch it this morning, uh, and then my mom's been trying to sell a treads a treadmill on Craigslist, okay. and I told her I would help her with it. And so somebody wanted to come get it today. So we got okay. we we got that done, but it took up my entire morning when I was gonna watch it. So okay. It remains atop my list because I, I was going to watch it even yesterday afternoon, but I got sidetracked too. Um, yeah, it's it's so. been a rough week. Too, it's been so. just really busy, uh, but but it looks fucking great, man. Yeah. I'm excited just from like seeing the the cover art and reading the summaries. I'm just like, yeah, yeah this is going to be great. This is going to be like a madcap, uh, you know. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed it because there's a lot more heart to it than most of the movies in that style. So I, th- I think you'll like it a lot too. I think. Right on. Cool. Well, yeah. I mean, well, I'll 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 have it done by next week so we no, can no, talk. No problem. Yeah, we're, uh, we're doing the the Molies, I think on Friday. Oh, nice. So we'll be doing our our annual awards show. I will look uh, forward to that because I I really <laughs> liked I really enjoyed your your guys's. Uh, uh, visceral hatred of batman forever even though uh and and hey i mean you guys might you guys might hate me for this but i really loved that movie when i was a kid and i saw it no i mean i get it it's batman you're a kid like well, it's... and it was it was like it it hit me at the perfect time for needing that level of quotability yeah because it's really like it is just a movie where somebody stapled a bunch of quotes like catchphrases together Dude, I could if I if I wish more people remembered the line because like I would just nonstop just go Harvey, Harvey on Batman <laughs> like it's so fucking <laughs> like, like it doesn't go like full on ape shit camp the way uh, Batman and Robin does, which right. I think is a movie I enjoyed more than this one. Yeah, well, the, yeah, the, the problem ultimately, because Jenny and I were, uh, we, we rewatched kind of the sequence of Batman movies uh, over the spring and summer, beginning of yeah. this year, and uh, and yeah, it was like, so uh, I had remembered enjoying the movie so much, and in, in, in rewatching it, it really, it became clear to me, and you guys hit a lot, a lot about this on the show, but just how much like... Kilmer and Kidman are mailing everything in. Like there's 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 just nothing there's nothing to it. It's like the dumbest kind of excuse to bring Robin into the situation and to bring everything together and it and it betrays the opportunity to tell good stories with yeah. characters that are pretty deep. Like she, she Dr. Chase Meridian is impossibly horny. Oh yeah, no no. I because <laughs> Yeah, because, okay, because in that the, the opening sequence, and I think you guys talked about this too, but yeah, he just kind of, he floats in from, from <laughs> I don't know where, from nowhere. Stage left. But she's just, she's somehow like standing among all of the Gotham police around yeah. this situation and turns to look and, and we're getting like, just, yeah, it, it's just, it's absurd. It, it is, it is stupid and, and, yeah, it, and yeah like i said the the other one's fun because arnold schwarzenegger like what is he even doing and uma thurman i think gives the worst performance an actress has ever given in any movie possibly ever oh yeah as poison ivy i mean when she's like she she might as well just like dig up may west and like 
it is atrocious. Hello, boys. Like, oh, yeah. So no, bad. Well, and because she's what it feels like is it feels like she's trying to do what Michelle Pfeiffer did in uh, Batman Returns. Yeah. To to do this kind of big swing, but she takes such a big swing. Like it, it's uh, it, okay. She's, she's it's like, like, one of, she's it's like, like a... Michelle Pfeiffer had a makeup artist, and Uma Thurman had the shotgun that shoots makeup at you <laughs> from the Simpsons. Well, set the whore. Yeah. Um. No, it's like I, I think I saw. Oh, was it? I think it was Ruben Sierra one time. I saw him swing on a pitch that hit him. Oh God! That's what she's yeah. doing. Like, yep, absolutely. <laughs> That's one hundred percent. Oh man, yeah. I really, uh, I, I still really, I still really liked Batman Returns, though. I know you guys didn't care for that that no, much. No, I think they do. I've just never liked that movie. Yeah, I have the, I have a comic book adaptation of that. Yeah, I mean, which I got the, the Genesis game. It's like the same thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, it, it, it has, it has a lot of big problems because it's. It's still doing that thing where it's trying to be really serious. It's trying to be really serious and 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 thoughtful thematic, and yeah. I think that's where it falls apart because the 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 darker creepy stuff works well, and I even like the way the the whole political situation kind of pans out. But they put so much weight on the end of it where Bruce is like, "God bless you know all men and and women," and we and we're supposed to get this like I don't know. It sets. It just. It's trying to set up something that never happens, so you yeah. don't really know what what would have come of maybe seeing Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman back in another movie. Yeah, which I don't want to do that. Obviously, I didn't get this reference when I was a kid and I saw it, but now as an adult, I hate it so much more. Naming the guy Max Shrek. Oh yeah, is so annoying. It's like, oh, he's a vampire. <laughs> get it? Just, yeah. <laughs> like, what was what was the Rick and Morty thing? The Coach Ferratu, like. <laughs> no, I just I'm not like the biggest Tim Burton person and like that movie just like screams Tim Burton and like and the Nolan movies are guilty of this to an extent. And I think all Batman movies kind of are with the exception of Batman versus Superman oddly enough is that nobody that makes Batman movies is particularly interested in Batman. Yeah, they're like, interested in the villains. Right. So, like, the portrayals of Batman, is he's either, like, kind of a dipshit, or, like, there's just something off about, like, almost every portrayal of Batman, with the exception of Ben Affleck, except for where he kills everybody. Right. But honestly, I think that Zack Snyder's the one that's the most interested in Batman. The problem is he's only interested in Batman, so it just doesn't work. Well, yeah, and and, and Bat- Batman's tough because it's this character that, I mean, the thing that really needs to be made, and I maybe it doesn't need to be remade, but is is like a live action version of the Killing Joke. I would see, yeah, because that that is probably the deepest exploration of what Batman is about. Well, I would love they would they would never do it. But I'd love if they made a, a movie of uh, Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on Serious Earth. And oh. all the have you ever read that? No, I haven't. You I should. should. It's a uh, it's painted. I I could mail you my copy, but it's painted by the guy that did the Sandman covers, Dave McKean. I don't know if you're familiar oh. with that Sandman. Yeah, cover yeah, at all. yeah, definitely. And like, it's very like 
overtly homoerotic with the Joker and Batman, like which has been the subtext whether the writers have realized it or not. Either they're the same guy or they're like in love with each other. Sure, yeah. But it's like it's very on Front Street, and like they, there's interesting choices. Like uh, they're trying to rehabilitate Two Face, so they move him from the coin to a die, and then they move him from a die to a tarot deck. And they're like, well, if he does well with this, we're gonna move him on to the I Ching. So they're, like, adding more and more choices until you, like... And also, I think this is also where they have the... They suppose that the Joker's not actually insane, but he has this kind of super sanity. Where to deal with how fucked up the world is, his personality just changes all the time. Oh, wow. Grant Morrison's a fucking alien, and I love that guy. So, like, if you get a chance, I, I think you'd really enjoy it. Yeah, it's I should check that out, because there, there's a part of me that sometimes feels like I have that kind of super sanity. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. The 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 point being, I guess, that every time we see Batman, with the exception of Batman versus Superman, is it, it fixates on brooding around family loss as the beginning and end of his death. Yeah, and then and and then what you got with the Schumacher ones is this weird like because I think Val Kilmer was trying to be brooding, but what he came off as was not. Not Sleepy. present. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, oh, so, Val's all uh, tuckered out. Yeah. And Val Kilmer can act. I've seen him do it. <laughs> well, what's okay? You know, you know, uh, uh, Island of Doctor Moreau. Yeah. So, uh, and I and I don't know if this story is true, but I've, I've heard it a couple of times, so I'm guessing that it, it must be semi based based in truth. That Val Kilmer was supposed to play the David Thewlis character, mm-hmm. and. That, and it was something like either the timing didn't work or whatever, so he took the other role. But yeah. that he became so pissed off at the combination of his character being sort of pointless and then how difficult uh, Brando was. Brando be- was. Yeah, I've heard that. That he just went like full psycho for the rest of the movie. So you're, you're what you're getting is this unhinged Val Kilmer performance because he's kind of protest acting. Yeah. He's pouting. Yeah. Yeah. Which, um, if he would have pouted in Batman Forever, it would have worked. But yeah. instead... <laughs> I mean, obviously everybody turns to Tombstone, which is, like, of course, like, just, like, a fantastic... Like, one of the best performances in a yeah. movie. But if you ever get a chance, if you haven't seen it, there's a movie called The Salton Sea. Oh, I've seen that. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, like, that's a great one. Very good in it. Well, good. I'm glad we've both seen that movie. Yeah, it's like a – well, because it, it, it reminds me a bit of – I mean, it's like a heroin memento. Yeah. With saxophone. Yeah. <laughs> I and mean, you know, like, you know, it, it's also kind of an identity story, which we both love, like, what's actually the real person. Right, right. Because, yeah, because in that you, you can't really tell whether he's good or bad. Yeah. Uh, and I love that. But – oh, we didn't score the – I'm sorry, we didn't even score the movie. Oh shit, waifus! Okay, okay. uh, <laughs> Nate. I'm gonna give it five. Wow. Because, uh, <laughs> I know, I know. Oh man, yeah. I know, five is high, but the thing is, is it, it really does, I, I give it a five because I think people should still watch it to see some of this stuff, and because the animation is so well done. I can't give it a bad score when it looked as good as it did. It, it, this is entirely suitable for the uh, projector screen above the bar in the hipster neighborhood. 
on silent. You know what? You're fucking. That's exactly right. Like that. I don't think anything's been said that was truer than that. That's what this movie is. Yeah. Um, like it is the hipster bar, and I'm thinking of a specific bar in Baltimore that's not there anymore. That would have shit like that on like their several TV display, like their old CRT mounted fucking art installation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a bar uh, in Denver called Forest Room Five that uh, you go in there. I mean, last time I was there, they had uh, they had a projector screen, a projection screen behind the bar. They were showing the uh, Russian version, black and white Russian version of Alice in Wonderland. Okay. Silent. Yeah. So that kind of thing. Great for that venue. Yeah, I think this particular bar, I want to say, is where TJ first saw Tetsuo the Iron Man, which is another one of those, like, hipster movies. Like, that movie's actually good. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, exactly that type. Good call. Nice. <laughs> hey, thanks. Hey, yeah. <laughs> so, how many are you going to give it? Two. Two. Yeah, if that this makes was sense. A, if this was a live-action movie, it would be a zero. Like, like I said, I appreciate the craft but I'm not going to give it extra points because we're watching, we're doing a series of podcasts that's exclusively about animation. So, right. like that would be like giving Batman Forever an extra two points because it had live actors in it. So I'm not going to do it. Um, <laughs> no, nobody just stuffed Jimmy Stewart and Jimmy Stewart's corpse into the Batman suit. Hey, that fucking monkey bit me. Um, <laughs> Oh, those are the sprockets, that old Saturday Night Live bit. Oh, yeah. Hey, your monkey bit me. Um, yeah, I fucking hated this. Like, there uh, were a couple things that I enjoyed, but, like, for the most part, it was just, like, a, just a fucking, it was, like, attrition. Yeah. It, I mean, like, it, it, it feels way longer than the hour and 25 minutes that it runs. And, yeah, I mean, and like, Fist of the North Star was like two hours long. It didn't feel like it. Uh, like, I don't think any of the movies we've watched have felt, except for Captain Harlock, which is like, yeah, yeah so <laughs> not good. Captain Harlock is similar to this in that it, it, it sort of drops into these. Yeah. Weird sidebars that don't go anywhere and don't add anything. I mean, I, I, you know, it, it really is what I said at the top about this movie. Like, if this would have been, if there was some sort of overriding ethos associated with this, it could have yeah. been good. But it was, it, I mean, you hit it, too, with, it, it just, it looks like the, you know, uh, Semester 1 Animation uh, 405 Classroom Showcase. It's like, hey, yeah. look what look what so-and-so put together. Oh, why, oh, man, uh, Billy really doesn't like his girlfriend, I guess, you know? <laughs> That's that's like all this was. It's like a I, I don't know if I ever told you the story, but when TJ and I saw Phantom Thread in the theater, because uh, that's the kind of humans we are. Yeah, you see, have you seen it? I haven't yet. Okay, so it's basically without getting into spoilers, it's about an artist who is like extremely bothered by like his wife and his personal relationships, and he just wants to make his art. And all we could think of was poor Maya Rudolph sitting next to Paul Thomas Anderson at the screen of this movie. Like, is that what you fucking think of me? Like, right? Well, yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. Or, or similarly, like an Aronofsky sort of thing, where it's just like, you, you really, you think that you're that important? Yeah. All this stuff can happen. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah, this is bad, but it's not like late period Aronofsky bad. Except for except for presence, which feels very uh um our our Aronofsky ish. Which is funny because if we do end up doing Perfect Blue, was that one of the movies we were looking at? Um We we can. Or no, uh Paprika was Oh Paprika, one. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Perfect Blue, uh, TJ tells this story on one of the shows. Aronofsky wanted to option that for a live-action movie. I think the guy that made the movie originally told him to kick rocks. And Aronofsky just made Black Swan, which is like the same exact movie, apparently. Oh, no way. Yeah. All right, well, we should watch that then so we can rag on him. Uh, let me see if that's... Because I think that's available to stream. I know Paprika's on Crackle, so we can watch it for free with weirdly uh, inserted commercials. If you've never had to... The experience of watching something on Crackle, it is something else. Yeah, I think I, I think I got excited because I saw the opportunity to watch a bunch of cool movies from the eighties that I wanted to for free on Crackle, and I was yeah. like, oh wow, I have, I, I get like two and a half minutes of movie followed by three minutes of commercials. Yeah, and they're like just in the middle of dialogue and shit. It's not like it's like a TV cut where the commercials make sense. Yeah, no, we don't fade to black and get a commercial. It's just like, hey, what's over there? Commercial. <laughs> air <laughs> um but yeah uh you want to do paprika yeah let's do we'll do paprika next one that sounds okay. good and then we, cool. we can do dead leaves the week after and yeah or perfect blue we'll figure it out all right brother well i'm gonna go take care of the puppies okay take care okay. Everybody. do the same all right love you love you too good show all right <laughs> bad movie good show. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Bye-bye. Let's be self-congratulatory. Okay, bye. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> century breathing down my neck I must move fast you understand me I want to go down in celluloid Or holy Any day, any day, any day But sometimes I feel more fulfilled Making Christmas cards With a mentally ill I want to live And I want to love I want to catch something That I might be ashamed of Frankly, Mr. Shankly, this Position I held It pays my way And it corrodes my soul Oh, I didn't realize That you wrote poetry I didn't realize You wrote such bloody awful poetry Mr. Shankly Frankly, Mr. Shankly Since you ask You are a flatulent pain In the house I do not mean to be so 
Mr. Shankly, I'll give us money. 